0: welcome everybody to the creative community podcast this week we have a little something different for you last week we recorded a great panel discussion with members of our advisory board discussing the state of the film and television industry in the time of covid 19. since it's very timely we thought we'd upload it here as well for you to listen to the first part of the uh, panel discussion there's a little bit of background noise but it does get better so please bear with us as it was recorded on a zoom panel session Uh, At the end, please remember to rate and review the podcast and subscribe. That really helps the podcast get recognition and move up in the rankings. Thank you guys so much. And here we go. Hi, everybody. I'm Ari Ingle, the director of Creative Community for Peace. Welcome to our virtual panel on the state of the film and television industry during the time of COVID-19. To briefly introduce everybody, uh, we have a great panel assembled today. Many of them are on our advisory board. Uh, We have Craig Emanuel, who is a partner and attorney at Paul Hastings, who has represented clients such as Ryan Murphy, Michael Adler, who is a partner in Leichter, Grossman, Nichols, Adler, Feldman, and Clark, and represents a broad spectrum of companies and talent in the film, television, and new media. His clients include Academy Award and global award-winning directors, writers, and actors. Gary Foster has produced some of everyone's favorite TV and uh, TV shows and movies, including Sleepless in Seattle, Short Circuit, one of my personal favorites, and the TV show Community. David Lawner is the former co-head of the Motion Picture Department at William Morris and now has his own management firm and has represented talent such as JJ Abrams. Scott Klug is the president of tremendous entertainment and produced a number of independent films such as the film blind starring Alec Baldwin and Demi Moore. Jeff Russo is famously a member of the band tonic and now an award-winning composer who has composed music for many amazing films and TV shows such as Fargo and the upcoming Star Trek Picard. And Gabriel Mann, another amazing composer, uh, most notably for the television show Modern Family, which he composes for and also wrote the theme song. Lastly, our moderator is Noah Pollock, a longtime television industry executive who also hosts a podcast called Exec Producer. Uh, We will have some question and answer session at the end, so feel free in the Q&A button in Zoom to uh, leave some questions and hopefully we'll leave a few minutes to get to them. Welcome everybody on Facebook Live as well. And I'll turn it over to you, Noah. Hi, everyone. Um, since uh, since we only have an hour here I w- and
1: since pretense has been thrown out the window, I'm just going to hop right to it. Welcome to all of our panelists. And uh, thank you very much, Ari, for, for hosting this panel. So, uh, you know, let's start with, uh, with Jeff and Gabriel, our two compo- composers, our two artists here. Uh, one thing I think the most immediate effect of this, obviously, is the workflow has been changed significantly. right? And I'd be curious, uh, from your vantage, how it's affected the work you do composing music for film and television. I mean, in, maybe in some ways you're less affected because you already were working, in some cases, remotely. or But I imagine there's still been some challenges. We'd love, love your perspective, Jeff and Gabriel.
2: Jeff, uh, you go first. Oh, sure.
1: <laughs> um, you know, (laughs)
3: as composers i think we're sort of used to being isolated anyway um we're sort of used to sitting in a room by ourselves and and writing and working um for me there were a number of projects that had already finished production um so i'm able to continue to write uh the scores i'm continuing to write the score for star trek discovery um third season i've been writing the fourth season of Um, some things have stopped production and will resume production when possible and, and some things continue post-production. Um, the one thing that it has significantly affected me on is the ability to record live musicians together in a room, so I've had to figure out how to um, uh, f- uh, do the orchestral sessions without actually putting 40 or so people in a room to do that. So. I've had to figure out how to make sure multiple multiple individuals can record at home and and um, and uh, layer themselves so I can sort of put it all back together and, and make a virtual um, a virtual orchestra. The other the other issue is I usually work in my studio and now I I brought home a computer so I can I can write at home which is always a little bit um, a little bit frustrating because there's not as much ability to focus. Um, and separation of work and, and home life, but um, you know, other than other than that, like just seeing post production um, come to a grinding halt where they're not able to continue because production is not able to continue, it's been has um, been sort of uh, alarming, obviously. Um, but I, I, we we do and are able to continue some form of work
2: because we usually just sit in a room and write. Okay? Well, I'm, my experience has been a little bit different, just in that my, the shows that I've been working on, mainly a Million, a Million Little Things and a couple other comedies, network comedies, um, they were all essentially finishing right as this was ramping up. So the, for my personal schedule, it kind of aligned nicely. So as I was finishing the final, the season finale of A Million Little Things, I was basically told I can't go to work anymore. So, and I also have a separate studio as Jeff does, separate from my home, which is actually not the norm, I think. I think most most composers uh, of TV at least have a studio at their house. So they're most of them are able to continue doing stuff if there's stuff still in progress. That said, the, the next thing for me is pilots. Typically, at this time, I would be like drowning in pilot stuff. And that is at a complete standstill. Um, I don't know of any pilots that, I think there was maybe one pilot that had finished shooting, one network pilot, that is. Um, but other than that, they were all sort of on pause until further notice. So I'm essentially on sabbatical. Uh, and I'm I'm polishing the silver, and I'm cleaning the windows, and I'm cleaning my daughter's room with her, and that's what's happening at my house. <laughs>
1: yeah. You and everyone else. Do either of you have any? Yeah. Since you have some some experience with working remotely, any great advice for all of us who are now doing it for the first time?
3: I mean, for for me, you know, doing remote spotting sessions and doing remote review uh, reviews and meetings and stuff is not. Yeah, it's 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 not outside of of the norm. Um, you know, being in a room with somebody is always a little uh, better. You know, having a direct interaction with people, but um, you know, it it has it has always worked for for me to do it this way. So it doesn't really change much. Um, it is interesting to see other people have to adjust to the that being the new norm, um, and that I think has been a little frustrating for people. Um, but now I think with all of the all of the network traffic that we have on
2: the internet
3: we have more and more of a problem uh getting um getting people to to be able to do it and have it not be an issue
1: all right so now let's uh let's move on to our producers here because you both mentioned obviously the pilot season coming to a halt and you know, uh, it's one thing to have things to work on in post-production, but eventually production shuts down and there's nothing left in post-production. We'd love to hear from the producers, from Gary and Scott and David, um, You know, are you able to sell anything right now? Um, I know networks and, and studios are still taking phone calls and still having meetings, but are they actually buying anything or is this more cursory and more just basically managing the, the stuff that's already, already in there? Gary, I don't know if you wanna go first for that question. Sure.
4: Um. In my experience, they are buying, um, which is a good thing. Look, this is this is uh, nobody likes. I think s- sitting on their hands and doing nothing. And yes, there's you, either you're winding down a production or winding down uh, pre-production. But look, a lot of our time is spent developing and interacting with people remotely anyway. Phone calls, um, e- etc. So why would you uh, remote to that? listening and um, reading What's somebody else is talking. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um
4: anyway, um, so what we're doing I- at this point is uh, working on closing deals that were in progress. Uh, we are we have had a couple of sales calls uh, both on the film and TV side with mostly streamers, uh, to be honest, um, but they are listening. Um and, you know, there are those projects that we are trying to attach talent to. And it's a great time because a lot of people are reading because that's what we can be doing right now. And um, so we're getting material out um, and we are getting fairly swift um, reaction, which is nice because that's fairly it's rare. Usually it takes weeks and weeks on end. But um yeah, on the development side for at least from 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 my perspective, um while it's a a bit unorthodox, it's still moving forward in a way where we can be productive and and make some sales.
1: Scott, do you want to pick up pick up next on your experience, you know, on on a, you know, putting together your projects?
5: For sure. Uh, in the independent film world, I'm very optimistic in the sense that as this goes on, Uh, and productions are down for indie producers, it might be a little bit easier for them to get into production as soon as things normalize, because they're more nimble. The studios are a bigger machine. It might take them some more time, so it might create some value for the independent film world uh, and the projects that they're going to come. So we had two films we were pretty close to, You know, listen, we know in the film world, it's a chessboard and you need all the pieces to be in place to go into production. But we were very close and we feel confident now that when things normalize, we'll be able to shoot and get a picture together very quickly. And we think there's going to be an enormous demand for content, especially from the streamers. I spoke to some friends of the streamers where now they're reviewing content that's submitted and they're been passing on and they're considering it. So they're really looking for new and fresh content. And uh, I think it'll be quite a valuable time for that.
1: David, have you felt with your clients and, and, you know, with your productions that you're, you know, quote unquote polishing off your silver and developing more and dusting off things that maybe were sitting around for a while, or, you know, what is, what has been your
6: experience in in making new sales over these past couple of weeks? Um, Well, for me, and I can say this because it's during Passover time, um, I'm kind of cleaning out development, you know, that I've done over the last few years that, At this point, I deem that I'm either not interested anymore, or given what I feel like the the, the radical shift in what the zeitgeist is going to be, you know. uh, So I'm 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 carefully evaluating the the type of content, at least that I'm developing personally. uh, But I'm also encouraging all the artists that I represent. I mainly represent writer directors. to write like hell right now, because uh, I agree with Scott. I think uh, the moment this thing stops, I think the studios and the streamers are gonna be really, really hungry for te- for content. And, and in this particular moment, there's so much to be said um, about the state of the world, the state of the human condition. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, the, the, the work is uh, nose to the grindstone right now. Um, uh, I, I, yes, the, the studios and the streamers are all uh, definitely acting as buyers. I, I, I think in order to sell something, um, you've got to package it with some, you know, a sexy director, a sexy star. This Ryan Gosling uh, uh, book that uh, the, the book that, I, that Ryan Gosling attached himself to written by the author of The Martian. Stuff like that's always going to sell and, you know, probably sell for a premium Like it did before, um, but I think that uh, there's a lot of reevaluation I'm doing personally, and I'm hoping my clients are doing about the kind of content that we're making. I, not to stand on a soapbox, but uh, I'm not sure the uh, the level of uh, nihilism and world destruction that uh, has been part of a lot of our content will kind of move to the next, uh, you know, to the next step that we're moving to in our pop culture. I know for me personally, uh, joy has become something that I'm so desperate for um, when I'm watching TV. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm loving some of the stuff that I've seen, like the show Zero, Zero, Zero on Amazon or, or Devs on Hulu. But I also want to laugh. So I'm grateful for, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm and uh, better things and things that just make me, you know, feel better about uh, where we are right now.
1: Right. So Michael and Craig is the deal makers and and sounds like maybe a lot of deals are going to be coming your way, if not right away, but, but, you know, pretty soon you might be, you know, pigs and shit with all the amazing, you know, content that's going to be going out, you know, and, and, and coming your way, but there's going to be major financial implications, I think for, for all this too. I mean, it's one thing to buy a lot of stuff, but then how do you buy it when you don't know when it's going to start? Um, you know, to say nothing of the, sort of financial mess that we're going to have to clean up for all the things that were just pushed or, or canceled altogether. Um, you know, Craig, what's your, what's your sense of who's, are they going to be, are the deals going to be structured somewhat differently with this indefinite start date? Are you still, I'm sure, working out the implications of
7: how, men, how much your artists are owed and if they're ever going to see that money? Um, I think just, you know, from my perspective at the moment, uh, I'm finding the workflow, um, incredibly busy. Uh, And in fact, I think these last couple of weeks, I have been as busy uh, as I've ever been. Um, I think to echo the thoughts of, you know, what the three producers have said, there is still a tremendous amount of development going on in our industry, in part because there is always this great demand for content. And I don't see that going away. And if anything, uh, particularly as people are faced with spending more time and watching content at home until there is... An adjustment period that takes place, uh, you know, the demand for content is is always going to be there. I think when you think about, you know, shows that are already successful on TV, um, you know, the studios and networks producing those shows are not going away and they're not going to cancel those shows because they represent core content for those studios. So we're seeing you know the ongoing development of new seasons of those shows. You're seeing spin-offs being developed of successful franchises, um, and I'm also still seeing a lot of active buying of new content. Um, you know, both on the TV side as, as well as on on the, on the feature side. Um, look, development is is something that takes a certain amount of time. So I think part of the theory is that. We're going to continue to develop, and when the world says that we're ready to go back into, um, you know, production, um, you know, then we'll, we will be armed and 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 ready. And in the same way, when, when there's always been rumors of a writers' guild strike in the past, people tend to write up in advance, and I think that during this period of time, um, you know, there's a lot of writing going on. Um, you know, I think on the financial challenges. Um, Look, there's clearly a huge financial challenge going on in our business at the moment for those people who have been involved in production where production has come to um, a grinding halt. Um, And in those cases where the studios or networks are sending out force majeure notices, um, you know, they're contractually obligated to pay what is contractually due up until that point in time. Um, They are not contractual obligated to pay anything beyond that um, and I think with rare exceptions they haven't done a lot of that because once they kind of make a compromise for one person then you know they can't be seen to be acting in a discriminatory practice against you know other people in similar circumstances um, you know a- a- as to when production is going to get up um, I think it's an unknown quantity I think that you know once people are allowed to return back to their offices. Um, you know, it's going to take longer for production to, to get ramped up. I think there is going to be a resistance of talent to travel. Um, I think until people figure out how do we create, um, you know, work environments um, that are, are, are safe um, for people working in these productions, that's, that's going to take... Um, time and so I think the actual ramp up in production is going to have a a lead time that's longer than just when people say you know it's safe now to leave the homes and go go back out you know on, onto the streets um, you know look I think the financing of production is going to go through um, a change I think on the independent side um, you know production's all been has always been about allocation of risk. Um, and, and here, you know, um, you know, there are going to be issues raised on who is going to take the risk on these kinds of force majeure events. And undoubtedly, there are going to be new forms of insurance that will become available in the marketplace that people are going to need. Um, you know, we saw only a few months ago when studios and distributors and networks decided they wanted to have the ability to cancel broadcasting and releasing of content where there were key members of projects that were caught up in the Me Too movement. Um, And you've looked at insurances being evolved to address those issues. So I think there is going to be a restructuring of the financing of our business and and the allocation of risk and how we protect against that. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, during the Depression, people went to the movies. Um, and it was, it was a substantial thing. And today, in this period of time, people want content, and they're used to seeing a lot of fresh content, um, given, you know, the production of a large number of, of new series each year. So I'm, I'm incredibly bullish and optimistic um, about the future of our industry. Um, is it going to go through a change? A- a- absolutely, but, but the core business is going, you know, to, to, to be there.
1: Michael, uh, you know, Craig mentioned how busy he is. I have to imagine the the same is true for you, or at least it's coming your way. It
8: it is. There's a lot of, there's a lot of material that uh, actually, including acquisitions of films that happened right before the end of the year when all of this was tumbling forward and before it really became as critical as it is now. I think, I'm, I share Craig's thoughts that I think that, you know, things are going to be good, but I think there are going to be changes in all sorts of, there'll be more, this issue of media consolidation, there's been a tremendous amount. I think there are going to be survivors and, and those who may not survive as well. Uh, how do you compete against AT&T when you're an independent producer? It's a, it's a tough, it's a tough situation particularly when you're dealing with a company that's vertically integrated. So I think those kinds of things, I, I think the thing, the main thing I see is talent will prevail. That's always been the case throughout the history of the movie business. Now, is you know, notwithstanding bumps, you know, they're going to, they're going to be those kinds of bumps, but they're going to be great opportunities as well. If you're a producer or you're a director and you can direct a movie that does not cost as much as the Irishman did, which Netflix I'm sure is not as happy as they would have been had it cost a lot less. But you can make a movie for a couple million dollars and sell it at a premium to one of the streamers because they're gonna need the content and they're not gonna get it supplied at a cost. So I think one of the trends you're gonna see is real efficient production. I mean, I think the issues and that's gonna be offset by the requirements of safety on the set. So you figure out how you can make a movie on a soundstage when you just had a pandemic or or whatever the case. Um, And I guess the last thing I would say is, in in the case of art imitating life, um, I was involved with a film about 11 years ago called Contagion, which if none of you have seen it or any of you have not seen it, it's a movie that... Tracks basically everything that's happened for in a frightening sort of sense, and it was ahead of its time. And just as our culture has art, you know, plowing in the future for the changes that we'll see, I think you're going to see the same thing happening here. I mean, some of the issues, uh, the, I would just say two other things. One is some of these issues, I think the whole movement to video on demand was accelerated. By, the, by this situation. I think it was headed in that direction. I hope they're not, I hope people wanna see movies together but I'm afraid they're gonna be a lot of empty auditoriums. Um, and then the whole question of the basic model, are you gonna have a subscription um, TV slash content or arrangement or are you gonna have something different? Are you gonna have advertising mixed up on some basis with subscription? I think all that's gonna change. And, and I said, in terms of the survivors, how do you launch a Quibi at the beginning of all of this? Is, are you gonna, is there enough content you know to fill the pipeline and is there enough demand for that content? I think those are all questions to be seen and uh, as they unfold and that's kind of how I see it. And, but, I, but I do come back to what I said at the beginning, which is basically talent will prevail. If you have people that you represent, that you work with, whether you're a producer or director or what, whatever, or writer, producer in television, those people,
1: you know, ultimately will prevail. Well, and I'm going to come back to the composers here in a second, but sorry, jump ahead to the producers for, to, as a follow-up to something you just said, Michael, but um, you know, the acceleration of the on-demand nature of just sort of everything. I mean, obviously things were trending in that direction, but now you've seen studios are obviously they don't, they can't put it in theaters, right? So the movies are coming straight on demand, new release movies. Um, you know, everyone is watching Tiger King, you know, in a way that I'm sure Netflix is very happy. You know, for you, um, for the producers on this call, uh, starting with, again with you, Gary, d- is this just completely accelerated and shifted your, your sort of your targets to the streamers? I mean. Uh,
4: well, that's uh, been, that's happened. Anyway. But is it, anyway. Life's been ahead. Well, I'm going to go with what Michael just said. I think at the end of the day, content and talent prevails. So I'm continuing to do what I've always done, which is find great material, try to get it funded, find the right artists, the right talent to create it. Um, And at the end of the day, when this opens up, whether it becomes a streaming piece or a feature film or, or something for, you know, traditional cable or television, it'll find it. It'll find its spot, but, um, everybody needs the content. And, you know, I've always, for years, I was a film producer, or do some television, now I'm a content provider, right? Content de- content developer and provider, and that's, that is my laser focus. Um, because no matter what the platform is, they're going to need the software, and we create the software.
1: Scott, for you, I know slightly different, because you also produce Broadway, right? And things that require those audiences that Michael just, mentioned. Uh, you're also the only one on this call, I believe, that's in New York City right now. So, you know, we'd love to hear your perspective on, again, on the ground in New York, but also where, where something like Broadway goes from here.
5: It's very smartly. Uh, Broadway is in a very, very tricky time. It's always been a very tricky space. We've been really been focusing on film and television. One of the things I've been monitoring in the feature world, is I believe all the studios have been organically headed to having their own streamers, and what that's going to do is really force the OTTs from today to really focus on original content. And again, for content providers, I think it's very powerful for us. Uh, listen, as far as New York guys, it's a it's an uh, unprecedented time. It's a ghost town here for the most part. The numbers that are coming in the next couple of weeks are scary, but I'm very optimistic uh, not to, we don't want to get into politics, but uh, you know, they're getting these testing out and I think that's uh, the tests are really going to help us with information and, and bring us back to production. There was so much production going on here right before this, uh, this pandemic came and, and uh, we, we were very hopeful that it'll return uh, very quickly. And again, I think independence might happen a little more quickly than the studios. Um, and travel is a big thing. And there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of crew in New York. So I think that's an upside, too, and obviously in Los Angeles as well. But there's so much filming going on down south uh, in the Carolinas and Atlanta. So the question is, are people going to be open psychologically to getting back down there into different locations? That'll be interesting to, to watch and see what happens.
1: Yes, very much so. I mean, hopefully there will be this uh, this just major, I don't know, explosion of content when uh, when we do have this magical day that, that all this is lifted. And I guess going back to the composers, you know, the artists on this call, Jeff and Gabriel, when all this product comes back your way, ha- you know, high-class problem, but are you equipped to make far more than you've ever had to make before? And I guess also to that point, what would be your advice to, you know, fellow artists, and maybe some other friends and colleagues of yours who are probably hurting right now, waiting for the work to come that may not come for a bit.
3: You know, I, I kind of think that things that were canceled will hopefully come back because they were just they've just been pushed as opposed to like go go away. I think that um, the the projects that had already sort of gotten some momentum that needed to stop will hopefully come back. Um, I, I do sort of worry about um, you know, having a glut of, of you know, ha, you know, backlog, meaning like I can, I can write and I can do what I need to do on the stuff that is now, but I'm worried that at the time that things that were going to happen over a longer period of time are going to be required to be done on a much shorter time schedule because people want to get things finished and done with all this break that's happened. Um, So that's a little bit of a of a scary prospect, although, yes, that would be a great problem to have. <clears throat> but, you know, having to prepare for, for that might be something that is um,
2: is is difficult, I, I imagine. Gabe? I mean, I, I agree with that to a certain extent. I also think that it's, it sort of presents an opportunity for for not as established writers of music and all kinds of other things there there's when there when there's that much work and this is sort of we're in a time now where there's so much content in general it's just been an explosion of content over like the last 10 years and and as the producers saying and the lawyers are saying it's not stopping just because of this there's a pause but things can happen during that pause that then will result in this glut as you're talking about. And I think that basically, you know, when that happens to me, and I'm sure this happens with Jeff also, you just sort of, you have to sort of gear up your team of people that help you. And that creates opportunities for younger composers and younger orchestrators and, and people that are on their way up and people that may be at your same level that are just not, plugged in at that particular moment. And so there's plenty of, in other words, it may require some patience um, until the work, until the flood eventually comes, but there will certainly be this flood. And I think Jeff's exactly right about the sort of people are going to want a quicker turnaround. That's, that's what I think is coming for people on the sort of on our end of it is that the turnaround is going to be, they're going to be like, we got to get this out and get it out now. And that's going to create stress. Certainly the
3: things that were in the middle, that stopped in the middle, that will then need to pick up where they left off. Those are things that I think people are going to be like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. We got to get this done. We got to get this done because we want to get it out. Um, But you're absolutely right. It will create um, a lot of opportunity for people... that are at a different level of of where where they're at because people like you or like me or even other um, people in the same position are going to be needing to even beef up teams um, to to get more help than we may have needed before because of that scheduling problem. All of a sudden, there's way more stuff to do in a way shorter amount of time as opposed to over a longer period of time, which. Um, so I think that it can it can form a, a really good opportunity for people who are doing, trying to do what we do.
1: Next next series of questions are for uh, specific for David and Craig. Um, you know, CCFP our, our our reason for coming together today uh, is right. aims to achieve peace through the arts, specifically in Israel. And a lot of people have mentioned. Um, I know, Scott, you just mentioned just even travel to the Carolinas and Atlanta, you know, being on pause, let alone international travel. And, you know, I guess the question here is, do you think the global nature of this pandemic will reinforce to everyone that we are all to in this together um, and sort of accelerate the global nature of television and film and, and obviously with streamers that go, you know, in 180 countries overnight? Or... Do you foresee a future where we all become more insular and more you know worried about our own backyard with so many people hurting financially and you know just needing to actually produce with the colleagues that live down the street from you I mean uh, David starting with you what what sort of uh, you know sort of immediate future do you see and the effect it'll have on, on international production
6: I mean listen and the well first of all if you can't hear the message that I feel loud and clear right now that we are all connected Right. All connected. Forget about borders. Forget about walls. I mean, yes, of course, we are all kind of hunkered down right now in our respective uh, cities, states, uh, you know, country. But, uh, you know, it, it, we're, we, we all Israelis, Palestinians, uh, you know, Italians, Americans. It's like we're all human beings. And, and And I feel like by the time we're out of this situation, that message will be uh ever more prominent um and i think if you look at the uh the trends that are happening right now with international production and uh you know content that has multi-language uh you know uh, dialogue going on all the time i mean i just uh, you know street i just uh, binged through this show on amazon called Zero Zero Zero, which was italian english and latin american um, And that's the real world, and I think that's uh, th- that's what a re- that's that was happening already, and I think as a result of this,
7: uh, it's going to happen even more and more. What about you, Craig? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I think I echo what what David has to say. I think you know whenever you have. A crisis there is going to be a period of time where we people rethink you know their strategies if you think back to you know what it was like after 9/11 um, people decided they wanted to stay home um, you know for, for a period of time but um, you know history has shown that we kind of we move past that moment of insecurity and I think that yeah, do I think there's going to be a reluctance in the short term about people getting on planes, going to Louisiana or any of these places? Um, yes, but ultimately people have to work. And and so where the work is going to be generated, people are going to go there. Um, you know, I have a client who's involved in writing and producing a very substantial Um, television series, you know, for Disney Plus that's supposed to be going into production, you know, at at Pinewood. And, you know, it's a very, very uh, expensive show and that's going to offer employment to a large number of people over a reasonably long period of time. And there is no doubt in my mind that people will get to the place where they're comfortable um, and being in one location. It's going to be a function of you know, these producers and studios and networks making sure they're creating an environment for people um, to, uh, you know, feel safe and work. And I think people can get as safe working at Pinewood as they can working in, in, in Streetport um, as as well. So I think that will change. I also think looking to the bigger picture, which David also alluded to, I, I also agree. I think that the number of productions I'm seeing taking place now that are co-productions, for involving um, you know a large uh, number of different territories and, and and countries, it is only going to continue to grow. And I think for you know the message and the mission of you know why uh, this organisation came into existence, um, I'm I'm excited about the prospects of what that's going to mean. I do think that you know, you see commonality of human interests come together at, at moments, um, you know, like this. I mean, look what's happened in the Middle East in general over the last couple of years when you have a common uh, concern over Iran that's no longer just an issue for Israel, it's an issue for a large number of the neighbouring countries. And I think that we are going to see this community uh, of creative people um, continue to, to, to thrive. So I'm optimistic.
1: Well, I love that, and I love the optimism, and so let's, let's talk about positives. And, and Michael, I loved your take here on, on really some more of the positives that you see coming out of this. Um, you know, Obviously, it's a very challenging time, but, but there's always a silver lining, or at least I like to believe. And, and after you answer this question, just so the audience knows, we're gonna switch to question and answer, so I encourage you to, uh, to write in with any questions you have for our panel before we wrap up here.
8: I would just say that um, what I had said before, which is, I think this is a great time of opportunities. So I think it's important, by the way, since this is a call that deals with peace in the Middle East. You know, Israel's going through a tough time. If you read some of the new Israeli newspapers and if you listen to some of the television and they have like they have 25 uh, percent unemployment effective today. And uh, increase they they've controlled the the virus on their end pretty well, but it's been you know, and they're doing the cutting edge research on coming up with the plasma uh, solution that has been talked about for several days. But I think there I think there are great opportunities both for the entertainment industry and for us as people, you know, in support of peace in the Middle East. And I think that's a those two things conjoined. Um, can, can lead to, you know, I think optimism. And I think we have to have optimism because otherwise, you know, I, I was talking to my grandson this morning um, because I have to do it on FaceTime because he's four years old and he, and his parents are having to explain to him what germs are and everything, not necessarily virus viruses. And obviously that's, that's a difficult thing for a child to process even when you do it in a way that they can filter it. But I think we have to keep that optimism. We have to plow forward and good things will come if all of us work together.
1: When all of us work together, hopefully. Yes. <laughs> all right, so I'm gonna switch to uh, some, some uh, question and answer here from, from our audience that's listening online. Uh, and first question here uh, has to do with scheduling. Um, and it's from Susan. And so uh, maybe, Craig, this would be a good question, I believe, for you to answer. So if an actor is scheduled to shoot a movie in April and a TV show in June, and when people get back to work, what happens with that actor? Is the movie on hold? Does the TV show get pushed? Who's going to get, you know, who's in first position here? And how is this domino going to affect, hopefully, this rush of productions that are going to come in?
7: Um, Look, I... It, it is obviously an issue where people have scheduled, you know, back-to-back productions, and each one I think is going to be handled, you know, somewhat on, on, on a case-by-case basis. Um, you know, it very much depends if if the first production um, uh, was uh, in a, in a priority position and the obligation to render services, in the second one was subject to completing services um, on, on the first production. Then you know there there can be an issue there. I think that there are going to be a number of situations where actors and other people have committed to multiple productions where they would have thought that there were you know adequate windows um, you know in between, um, and there may not be a priority built into the contracts. And I think on those, people are just going to you know have to um, you know work them out, and there's just going to have to be some degree of you know cooperation um look i think it's also important to remember that um and this question gets asked a lot which is you know what are the implications of force majeure provisions in in contracts so you know if a contract has been put in hold in a lot of contracts um you know the studio or the network has the right to suspend um, the period and apply a force majeure period But most contracts also provide that the artist, the writer, the director um, also has an ability to, um, you know, terminate um, if there is a force majeure period that extends beyond a certain time period. Um, A lot of contracts have an eight-week period in which case, you know, the artist, director, writer has the ability to um, terminate. Some are, you know, a little bit shorter, um, so there, there may well be circumstances where the individual involved, depending how long the suspension takes place, may be able to selectively um, make a decision. But I think, as I said at the outset, you know, each each case is going to have to be handled a little bit differently. Um, there is going to have to be some cooperation amongst groups of people to try and accommodate the production and they'll, they'll have to figure it out.
1: All right. Uh, this is a question um, for David. Uh, and it's, it sort of was touched on earlier, but, you know, there's a lot of mention of things, you, calls with networks and studios and things moving forward, but right. have you actually had anything greenlit in the past few weeks? No. or is it just No, nothing.
6: No. I mean, I've had it, the, the way my cycle is working right now. I've actually either had clients coming off production. Um, I mean, I'll just tell a, just a uh, anecdotally, just a, a wild story. I had a, Uh, My client, Jonathan Hensley, was directing a movie up in Winnipeg, uh, an action movie starring Liam Neeson, Uh, and uh, uh, literally a week before they were supposed to finish production, uh, you know, Canada started announcing all of their disciplinary actions and borders closing and everything else, and his crew of 109 all of a sudden got whittled down to a crew of 12. I mean, these were like the diehard people that were going to, you know, just kind of up the hill and, 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 and finish it. Um, miraculously, he finishes it. Um, they close the borders uh, to the extent where uh, he couldn't get a flight out. Uh, he hitches a ride with one of the, uh, you know, one of the, one of the crew guys who's, you know, driving like a, you know, a 12-wheeler. Uh, two miles before he gets to the border of the United States, uh, kind of in North Dakota area, the driver says, I got to drop you off here because the manifest in my, uh, you know, in my agreement is I can't I can't bring anybody over the border. He has to get out and walk two miles across the border to get back into uh, the, 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 the truck to drive him to Minnesota, where eventually within a 24 hour period, he was able to you know, get a flight back to Denver, etc. Um, but, uh, you know, so the long answer, I guess, to your question is, um, right now, most of the artists that I am working with are either in, uh, writing mode, post-production mode. Um, and as I said before, you know, I'm hoping that they're also writing things that, uh, we can then, you know, sell when this thing, uh, or, or package at least, uh, you know, when this thing comes down. Uh,
1: question for our other producers, for Gary and and for Scott, uh, and this goes back to, you know, productions traveling and and also trying to keep things efficient. Did you did you have anything shooting overseas currently? I think similar to David's just story, uh, do you see things not shooting as much overseas, specifically up in Canada, where you know there's been so much production over the past couple of decades, um, you know, or or do you think you're going to keep your productions more localized for the for the time? Well, being?
4: I can't. I can say I have a project that is going to shoot in Australia. Um, and we have two issues now with, with that. One is the travel and, 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 you know, restrictions. The second is a lot of, uh, most of the Australian content that uses the system there, um, takes advantage of federal and state tax, uh, incentives. And there is some discussion because of the financial impact it's having on the country that the budgets for those um, federal and state funding agencies are going to be cut significantly. And that's going to have an effect on, uh, on both television, you know, short form feature films, so there's going to be, once this gets resolved and, and the federal government there decides, uh, you know, how they're going to, where they're going to st- steal in order to pay for some, uh, you know, some uh, other areas of government uh, importance, it's it's going to be a factor. Um, and in this partic- on this particular production, it is a very specific Australian story. So we're going to have to navigate both those issues um, once, you know, once we're given the green flag to to figure out how to move forward. I'm concerned that the funding model that we put together is gonna be significantly affected and uh, we'll have to figure out what we do.
1: How about you, Scott?
5: Well, what's interesting is we are literally just about to launch a development company in Tel Aviv. We're supposed to launch it in March. And so we all know how valuable IP is, right? And we're talking about production, but uh, I think that'll manifest into something really spectacular. And I think IP is also going to draw a bridge from Tel Aviv to Hollywood for what we're doing, but all over the world. Um, You know, going back to earlier, thinking about we ignored what happened in China and the devastation that followed. So hopefully we're going to learn and connect more uh, as humanity. And I think creatively, that should uh, also benefit from it. Want well, to just say one more thing uh, on an optimistic level. Anyone watching that had content, you know, we lost a lot of our really big film festivals. Tribeca was canceled. South by the industry looks like it's being very proactive. I'm pretty sure I was reading CAA is going to create a brand new market uh, at the end of the summer in the fall to create exposure for those kind of projects um, that have been missing out. And I think so. That's a lot. Uh, there's a lot of good to look forward to uh, with what we're doing in the industry. And there won't be complete loss from those, uh, those kind of incidents.
1: Well, and that's a nice dovetail into this next question, which I think would be great for our, for our two composers here, which is, you know, you mentioned a lot of production shutting down. That's, that's obvious, but are you seeing other types of production that are ramping up and people getting creative in other ways? Animation would be one example of that podcast would be another, um, you know, anecdotally, or either of you seeing much of an uptick on, on that, on those types of productions
3: i mean i i don't and i'm not currently working on anything that is animated but i have heard of that like i've seen um i've seen and heard of people like continuing that work because those are a bunch of people uh, working just in their in their houses or in their like you know s- solitary studios um but uh in terms of the stuff that i'm working on um you know, most of it is just either already ramping already in this post production phase, which, um, you know, we're just posting, uh, all individually in our own houses, doing, um, doing all of the post work. They're, I, I've seen people set up mix studios in their house and I know we're, we're, um, we're mixing a couple of things um, where one mixer is in one apartment on one street and another, the, the FX mixer is on another apartment and they're talking out the window to each other. It's actually quite interesting um, seeing how that how that's going. But I haven't seen anything like ramping up production in um, anything that I'm working on.
1: How about you, Gabriel?
2: Um, there, I've sort of got, I'm sort of in the middle of three different waves of that. I I don't know if it's going to, I mean, other than what we've talked about in terms of the, the overall glut that I think is going to be inevitable after this, there's, I have stuff that like network stuff that was finishing. I have, um, streaming stuff that was like, I do a, a Disney plus show that was in the middle of production. And they're just uh, pausing. They just hit the pause button altogether. They don't do, uh, they're not posting anything. They're not uh, shooting anything. They're just sort of waiting. And I think the thing that they are doing is that they're finishing the writing of the series. So if they were on episode three or whatever in the writing of a show that was already going for 10 or 11, they're they they're just continuing the writing. Um, so that, that will, at least that aspect will be done and they can focus on that. And then when it's time to shoot, they can shoot full throttle. So that will be, there. there's sort of rearranging of schedules in that way. Um, and then for pilots, pilots is sort of, a, is, there's many different options as to what could happen with that. There's pilots that are, also had to just hit the pause button that are doing, and I know of at least one of the ones that I'm working on where, there's a pilot that has a mini room, a mini writer's room where they're writing, I guess, the second episode of what would potentially be a series. A pilot that would where there wouldn't there wouldn't have been a second episode written uh without this event happening. So in that case, the writers are working in the same way that they're working on this Disney Plus show um remotely. And then they're and then so it'll be sort of like a different pilot situation than you would normally have. They're not, they're not going to shoot the pilot right away. They will wait until they're allowed to shoot again. And then they'll have two episodes written. So it'll just be sort of like a change in the way things work. And in some ways that is refreshing because then you have, you just sort of, you're not, you have a a new conceptual idea for what the show could be by knowing what a second episode could be. And uh, that's interesting. Uh
1: question for you, Michael, uh, since you're transactionally making so many deals, how, how has this affected in, just in these few short weeks, the types of things you look for in the deals that, that you know, have come across your desk or that will come across your desk you know, in the coming months? Has it really, really shifted your, your line of thinking in, in significant ways? I- I
8: think it has. You know, I, I I think it really depends on the facts and circumstances. When you have a movie that's ready to go and it's canceled, and hopefully you can get it postponed as opposed to canceled. And then you have situations, as Craig had explained, in terms of what a force majeure is. When that happened, when there was a Writers Guild strike, it was one solution. Sometimes people, you know, Studio One or Streamer One reconciles their their schedule with Streamer Two, but sometimes they'll say you can have the you can have your this person in first position, but you have to pay us a certain amount of money because we're going to have to delay our production. So there's all sorts of things. Before all of this started, the the template, you know, was already starting to shift. The streamers like Netflix wanted to buy the back end. They, you know, if they're going to pay for it, they want to own it. So they want to be able to buy your back end out and create their own library so they can compete with the Disney Pluses and HBO, AT&Ts of the world. And I think all of that, you have to think about everything because what, what, especially certain, the big studios went and just, this was the time where they could throw anything, but, you know, including the kitchen sink into their contracts and make them as tough as they could reasonably expect them to be or try to get them to be. Um, It's sort of like, the best example I can give probably is when Fox Channel, not Fox News Channel, but Fox, the network started out. They basically said, if they sold a program to an affiliated company of Fox, that there wasn't any obligation to do it on an arm's length transaction. You could challenge it sometimes. Sometimes you they said you couldn't challenge it. So all of these things, it's made, you know, full employment for lawyers and agents and managers. But it's uh, created a lot of, uh, you know, new new questions that you have to ask yourself when you're negotiating the agreement, or more importantly, when you have to deal with the 50 pages of contract that are sent to you. But the, by the way, for which your client can't get paid until he signed it, and they're not prepared to spend four hours on the phone with you negotiating it.
1: Well, now it's a 51-page contract, probably. Right. You know, after exactly. all, that. Um, all right, so last question, and this applies to everyone. We're just going to go in a circle. Um, it's probably the most important question, but what should people be watching right now? <laughs> David, you kind of touched on it, but I'm gonna go around and get everyone's top top recommendations. Uh, and so top left corner for me is Jeff. Jeff, what is your uh your top recommendation right now? To watch. <laughs> watch, read, listen to, you know, any anything to pass all this time. You
3: know, I, I would say just stop uh doing what I'm doing, <laughs> which is um obsessing about reading news articles. I, I I was up all night last night reading and it's it's really it's really quite um quite bad for, for me anyway. Um, you know, there's so much content out there, you know, I, I hate to say this, but, um, because I hate to be so shamelessly self-promoting, um, on Hulu, all three of the first, the first three seasons of Fargo are now up and it, it, it is really, it's a really engaging show to watch and it's very entertaining. So I would say that's a good thing to sit back and, and give yourself like a week to watch all 30 episodes. <laughs> All
1: right. How about you, Greg?
7: Um, you know, I, it's funny because I, I, I haven't had enough time in the last couple of years to watch a lot of television, and now I find in my spare time I'm doing it. Um, uh, I, I will say, um, as, as someone who was always a huge Trekkie fan and a huge fan of um, Next Generation, um, Watching Picard um, has been just truly, um, you know, phenomenal. The acting is great, the, the storyline is great, and actually, I've what I've really enjoyed is that um, it's not something you can sit and binge watch. You you had to do as you did with Game of Thrones, which is watch, um, you know, one episode a week when it was released, and. Um, you know, there's an opportunity and there's time to do a lot of binge watching, but there's actually also something really nice about the expectation that once a week you're going to be able to tune in and, and watch something. And, um, I agree, we've all become too obsessed with the news and it's hard to avoid, but actually watching something that just takes you out of your mind into a, a a great place and you just sit back and enjoy it's, uh, um, so if you haven't watched that, um, I have no no uh, qualms in in promoting uh, something that one of our panelists has been involved <laughs>
1: in. How about yourself, David? You mentioned
6: a couple already, but I don't know if you have any other recs to. to I, those are the two that just keep on coming to mind because they make me laugh and they make me feel good. I mean, I I I agree with everybody who's been speaking. I, I I'm a news junkie to begin with, and uh, I've been up till like two three in the morning just you know. Uh, dealing with all the anxiety that comes from, you know, reading the news that does me no good anymore. But I say curb your enthusiasm because I think this season, especially the last few episodes of the season, were just absolutely genius, belly laughing, you know, just, I, I just had me in stitches. And I really do love this show, Better Things, Pamela Adlon's show, you know, about a single mother bringing up her three precocious daughters. It's, um, it's just these beautiful moments of life and uh, the fleeting moments of life. I mean, one of the things that I've also been trying to do is, is, is watch and listen to nature. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky I have a, uh, a backyard where I, I, I see the trees and, I, and, and, you know, now that there's no traffic noise, um, just the, the kind of silence and, and, and the life around me you know, that that's the message that, that's been speaking to me loud and clear, which is like, uh, you know, look in awe of what, uh, of, of what this planet and certainly this community, Los Angeles, has to offer. Gary? I'll do a little self-promotion.
4: As of today, uh, our series Community is on Netflix, so you can watch all six seasons of Community. Uh, for those who want to rediscover it or for those who have never saw it and want to see it now um, but we're doing um, classic movies uh, here we you know decided to go back and look at some things we hadn't watched in years and some that our kids hadn't watched so uh, i'm I would encourage people to take an opportunity to you know educate yourself and remind yourself of some of the great filmmaking that has been done over the last you know 40 50 years.
2: It's a good time to do
4: that.
1: Gabriel?
2: Um, my father lives in Israel, and he's watching this show called Shtisel, which I had not heard of. I was a big fan of Fauda, which is... I mean, if you haven't seen Fauda and you're watching this panel, you probably need to watch Fauda. <laughs> it's, I, in fact, I, I had to go... I do this show, a High School Musical, the series for Disney Plus, and I had to go to, um, to where they shoot it in Salt Lake, and they, and we were done for the day, and I watched the entire first season from 6 p.m. to about 2 a.m. that night, and I was just like, my stress level was very high, but in the best way. Um, I, this is my list. I, I have a list of stuff that I'm supposed to watch. <laughs> and it it, it, does, it doesn't get shorter though it only gets longer I mean I can tell you some of the things that are there's like a Ray Manzarek Riders on the Storm thing on YouTube I'm supposed to watch I mean I've never seen The Sopranos wow. I didn't watch what? Game of Thrones is- I, I'm, te- I'm a terrible person <laughs> <laughs> I'm a terrible person I don't know what to tell you about it Billions, I actually watched the first season and a half of Billions and I love it and I have not picked it back up uh, there's another show called Unorthodox, which is a new show that I would like to see. I mean, there's so much stuff. We watched The Fifth Element with the kids the other night. That's, to me, that's actually the challenge is finding something old right. that your kids don't completely dismiss because it's old. It's difficult to make them watch something when the sound comes on and it's kind of like warbly. And, and that is true of that movie. But they did love The Fifth Element. So at least we got that. They hated Dumb and Dumber.
1: Hated also, uh, that, they hated it also. They love mean? high school musical. They we, we, we do we
3: love high school musical. We actually just watched Best in Show with the kids, and they
0: loved it. Ooh, yeah, right. good one. I'm going to put My that on. The kids are also uh,
1: watching The Price is Right for some reason. That's, <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: That's what you do when you stay home sick.
1: You watch The Price <laughs> is Right. Exactly, we're That's sick. Right. For a lot Michael, how about yourself? What recommendations? Well,
8: I, I would... Uh, add on, I just saw Unorthodox, which is basically an Israel-German co-production. Or it was filmed in a lot of it in Berlin, some in Brooklyn. And it's re- it, it's it's in Yiddish and English. So when you talk about extending culture and language, it doesn't get m- more uh, extended or pure in, in, in that sort of basis. And then, of course, I, I'm very biased about the tiger because it's tapped, well, my partner, Linda Lichter, was involved in the negotiations with the producer and director, but also it seems to have tapped into the zeitgeist of everybody because it's so different than anything that you would normally see on television, other than maybe a, a National Geographic special or something. So those are my favorites. So there's a lot of good stuff. Stetzel's good, is good, Israel's got some formats that exported or actually made that have been really, really uh, capturing people's imaginations and really uh, making everyone happy about seeing them, even though the subject matter sometimes like Un- unorthodox is a story of a woman who's in an arranged marriage in a Hasidic community, the Satmar community in, in uh, New York and escapes to Berlin uh, from this whole oppressive kind of situation she's in. But it's really, really interesting, and the woman who's one of the lead act- actresses was also in Shih Tzu, so interesting.
1: Last but not least, Scott.
5: Yeah, I'm glad everyone's bringing up the Israeli content. I mean, the door's like slightly ajar there. They're really starting to produce some really fantastic stuff that's hitting the global market. Fauda's new seasons dropping in three weeks. I'm sure everyone's excited for that. I'm ready for that. Um, when Heroes Fly was big for them. I think a show called False Flag. Uh, and they're all starting to sell them here, and they're rebooting them in English. There's another one called The Baker and the Beauty uh, that I think is just about to premiere this week in English. But the Israeli versions are great. Um, if you guys want to laugh, uh, Veep, I think, is just as original and brilliant as there's ever been. And I just got hooked on Shit's Creek, which is absolutely mm-hmm. genius, absolutely if you get into it, my gosh, if you guys like gritty, like The Wire gritty, there's two amazing mob gritty shows. One's called Gomorrah, um, and it is incredible. Unfortunately, there's only two seasons out because the other two seasons are sitting on the Weinstein shelf, and I have no idea how we're going to get them. <laughs> They're all tied up with that. <laughs> and then there's another one called Sabura, um, also, like this gritty mob-type uh, Italian show. They're really fantastic. All
1: right, well. I'm
0: uh thank you all i think it was really great so before incident. we end sorry yeah throw it toari what's your what's your favorite recommendation at the moment oh well yeah like everyone else
1: you know tiger king is i think the one thing we can all agree on as a society right now price is right i just <laughs> mentioned and uh i don't really get to control the remote but I, we're doing a lot of the classic movies and uh but i think gabriel to your point i, I really want to show the kids stand by me and they just rejected it. So we're gonna push that down their throat this weekend. They're gonna watch it. They rejected just on the idea of it. So- We, d- we did
3: that same thing with To Catch a Thief. We pushed it down their throat, they watched it, and they were fine, they were fine with it.
0: Exactly. If they watch Goody, they can watch Stand By Me. You gotta show them <laughs> yeah. the
1: classics, you gotta, you gotta just yeah. throw them.
0: Anyhow, I'll give my, I, our, my recommendations along the Israel lines, remakes, Homelands in its final season, which is an amazing show and what was a Israeli adaptation euphoria for anybody that hasn't seen it. Another adaptation from an Israeli show, which is amazing. And then two others, hot boy, which a lot of people haven't seen, which I thought was great, which they brought back and redid with, I think it was LeBron and Maverick Carter and Drake brought it back. And then, um, What's another one? Narcos is obviously a great show, which they just came out with a new season. So anyhow, thank you guys so much for everybody that watched. Thank you everybody in the panel. Honestly, this was like amazing discussion. Um, I think people got a lot of it. I got some texts and emails how people thought this was absolutely fascinating. So thank you so much. Thank you, Noah and Matthew, who we just have a little uh, logo from, for helping to coordinate all this behind the scenes. Thank you guys so much. <laughs>